we often focus on what our yes is to God. And I hope we're a church that always does this. That we encourage us to respond every day with a yes to Jesus. So we, wanna, we have a high view of baptism in this church, which is a part of how we say yes to Christ. We surrender, we trust, we're laying our lives down at the feet of Jesus, knowing we can't save ourselves. We say yes to God through uh, the way we pray, the way we read the Bible, the way we serve. We want to be a church that responds to Jesus by saying yes to Jesus so that we are lovers of Jesus, lovers of the Bible, dispensers of grace. We love people. But today is not so much about how important it is that we say yes to God. It's important that you have ears to hear how God is saying yes to us. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you open your Bibles there, I invite everyone in the room, I don't care if you have a physical Bible, a phone, a tablet, if you're online with us, as long as you're not driving, will you open a Bible where you are? And in verse 19 in 2 Corinthians 1, it says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Today is not so much emphasizing on how we say yes to God, though that's important. It's how God says yes to us. So may God give you ears to hear and a heart that can hear God's yes today. This is our fourth week in a series in 2 Corinthians. I invite you to read 2 Corinthians. It'll take you around 45 minutes. You can listen to it in less than that. 13 chapters, some of our favorite verses that you may find like uh, in, in Christian bookstores or people are posting online, they come from 2 Corinthians. Check it out. Uh, this is the fourth week in this series. We've called ambassadors in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, we are ambassadors of Christ. We are representatives of Jesus. What a great privilege and honor this is for us. Last Sunday, Jim preached from Jim Hinkle from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 3 through 10, about the God of comfort. And let me say this about Jim. Jim and I have now been on staffs at churches together for over 21 years. There was a short little period between where we worked in Texas and where we worked here. And I'll say this about Jim. Jim's a lover of Jesus. And I don't just throw that around like we say anybody like, hey, well, they love Jesus. Like, since the moment I met Jim Hinkle, there is not an area of his life that he does not want to be permeated by Christ. I mean, in how he preaches, how he teaches, how he lives, how he walks alongside of other people, how he's a neighbor. Uh, so here's one of the things I love about my job. It's 52 weeks a year. I'm not going to preach 52 sermons close to it, um, but I'm overseeing all 52 Sundays. So I may give people a theme. I may give people a text. We may talk about it. But here's one thing I love about Jim, about our church staff, about our church leaders, is I don't have backup preachers. Like, Jim Hinkle is not a backup preacher. I have partners in ministry. Like, I have people who are committed to the Word of God, and it's such an honor to come alongside of them. So today, I don't care if you're a teenagers in the back, we'll call it the, the left wing over there, not how you vote, just where you sit in the room, all right? And way over here, we got the right wing, not how you vote, just sitting in the room. And everybody in between, I want your Bibles open to a few verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 because I want to walk you through it. And there are things that excite me sometimes about a sermon. And sometimes it excites me because what it has done to me in the preparation. And sometimes it excites me because I think about the impact it can have in your life and on people around you as you go about your life. So as you think about how God says yes to us, I want you to think about this today. Where in life is a yes required? Like in order to move forward, a yes is required. 
So Casey and I, if you ever drive into Dallas, you ever drive into Dallas in East Dallas before you get to the, all the big metroplex where everything's under construction, you're going to pass Lake Ray Hubbard, big lake, then a body of water or body of land, then you're going to or land, then you're going to have another body of water, which is also Lake Ray Hubbard. It's the same thing. It just it's huge. And this is where I took Casey, where we had our first. It was the first time we laid down a blanket and we had a picnic. It's the first time uh, we danced in the headlights. This was a lake that had a few memories for us. So this is where I chose to propose to Casey. So we went down there and I got on a knee and when I did, the preacher's wife was a movie years ago with Denzel Washington and Whitney Houston. And I had the VHS tape cover because that's how we used to do things back then. And I put my face on top of Denzel because people often confuse us. I put... Casey's face on top of Whitney Houston and the preacher's wife was there and I flipped it over and there was the ring and I said, will you marry me? And Casey took off running. I'm not exaggerating. She ran. And if you are proposing to your girlfriend, you don't want to see her take off running. Now, the good thing is she wasn't running in a straight line away from me, so that's good. She just started running around in a circle. She was running and then galloping, and I'm just doing this right here. And, and I was like, it looks like she's excited, but I didn't, like, do, do I, dis, Casey, you're going to get dizzy. Or am I supposed to chase after her? Because if you propose to someone, it's not a good thing when they don't answer you and you run after them. It's probably not a good thing. And finally she came back and she said yes. If you are ever witnessing a proposal and someone asks someone to marry them and their response is like a shrug of the shoulders, like, uh, I guess, would you not pull them aside and say, for this to really work, like a yes is required. Like if I'm ever officiating a wedding and I say, do you take this woman to be your wife? And his response is, uh, I guess I don't really have a choice today. I'm going to like call a timeout and be like, we can't go forward in this ceremony. Like you've got, you got to bring something better than that. A yes is required. If you've ever been uh, stepping onto an airplane, I don't know what airline you fly when you do, but most of them do it in groups. And when you scan your ticket, a lot of times there's somebody who has chosen to sit in the exit row. And when this happens, they will, they will stop them and they will say, I need a verbal confirmation that you were willing to help people in case of an emergency. And you can't do a head nod. You can't give them a thumbs up. You have to verbally say yes. And you have all seen people verbally say yes in which you were thinking you were lying because there's no way you're going to help anybody in case of an emergency. You got your... You got your slides on, you have an emergency, you, you have a special pet, you know, there's no way you're going to help anybody. I want somebody to step up and then be like, hey, you know, can I get a verbal yes? And then actually like scan the room. Like who's actually going to be on this plane before I say yes or no? But there are times where you have to give a verbal confirmation of a yes. And when it comes to faith in God, there has to be a verbal confirmation. You can't just hold on to the faith of your mom or your dad or your grandparent or your your teacher or somebody you know. At some point, it's you having to verb. It's required in faith. You say yes to God. And what's required today as we look at 2 Corinthians is for you to hear that God's not just waiting on our yes to God. God. God has a yes to us. God speaks a yes. Now, the yes God speaks isn't a yes to all of your prayers, as much as we would love that. It's not a promise that God's going to answer all of our prayers. It is a yes. 
And God's yes is in Christ. Literally, look in the screen. God's yes is in Christ. That's where his yes is. His yes is in Christ, and this means something. It means something to how you think about your sin. It means something to how you think about your past. It means something to how you think about your future. That God's yes in Christ means something to us. It means something for us. God speaks yes, and in 2 Corinthians, we will learn that our response is, it's an amen. Do you know people in your life who've ever over-promised and they under-deliver? They make big promises, and maybe with really good intentions. They make big promises, but they under-deliver on their promises. Have you ever had an employer do this? Where they make promises of a raise coming at the end of the year, or a bonus, or a promotion, but they under-deliver on their promise. Maybe you've been in relationships before where people make big promises, but they under-deliver. Maybe you've been in churches before where church leaders make big promises, but under-deliver. Politicians who make big promises and they under-deliver. Like in life, sometimes we're burnt by this, where people make really big promises. I will show up. I will be there for you. Here's what I want to do for you. And they under-deliver. God makes really big promises, and God delivers on his promises. Now, there are some promises God makes in Scripture that are conditional. And then there are a lot of promises God makes in Scripture that are not conditional. God makes big promises, and God delivers on his promise. So when you count all the promises of God in Scripture, it's somewhere in between 3,572 promises God makes and 5,467 promises God makes. Now, that sounds like, I mean, there are a couple of thousand in there between the minimum and the maximum because sometimes God may have a sentence that God speaks in which some people say that's one promise, but it may be three promises in one, or there are times where God repeats his promises. There are thousands of promises God makes in Scripture. And if you want to stand on the promises of God, like we sang this morning, some of the easiest thing you can do is just Google the promises of God or go to BibleGateway.com or YouVersion and just pull up promises of God and read through them and write them out or memorize a few. I'm going to go through seven for you real quick. Just seven times the promises of God are referenced in Scripture. In Psalm 85, verse 8, it says this, I will listen to what God the Lord says. He promises peace to his people, his faithful servants, but let them not turn to folly. In Psalm 119, 140, it says this, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. In Psalm 119, 148, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. In uh, Psalm 145, verse 13, it says, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures through all generations. The Lord is tr trustworthy in all his promises and all he promises and faithful in all he does. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, like promises of God call us to live in a certain way. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 6, it says, But Jesus has now obtained a more excellent ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted through better promises, like through Jesus, in Jesus. Better promises promises come to us than pre-Jesus. In 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 4, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. God makes big promises and God delivers on his promises. At the end of 2019, I had a chance to go up to the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And I've talked about this before. 
where every Tuesday since the late 70s, they have a prayer meeting in the church. Now, this is a church with thousands of members in a room that can hold thousands of people. And on Tuesday night, they have a prayer meeting that begins at 7 o'clock. The doors open at 5 o'clock. And there are people at 4.30 waiting in line to get through doors that open at 5 for a prayer meeting that begins at 7. Now, for many churches, not just throughout the United States, but throughout the world, if you call for a night of worship and prayer, people come up with any excuse in the world not to go. But Brooklyn Tabernacle is a place with thousands of people, standing room only, every Tuesday night as they pray. And a few of us, a few of you, have been with me before to travel up for this event, this prayer meeting. In 2019, I reached out to Pastor Gaines at Bellevue Baptist here in Memphis, and, and uh, Pastor Gaines and I were acquaintances, and I just asked, because I knew he had a connection, to Pastor Jim Cimbala at uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle. And I said, is there any way you would reach out and just ask if he would spend a few minutes with me and three of my preacher friends as we go up to a prayer meeting? And Pastor Cimbala reached out to us and said, I would love to spend a little time with you. There are a few questions I had about prayer culture. So we went up there and he was so gracious to give us about an hour with him in his office before this prayer meeting. And as we walked in, he said, first of all, here's what I would like to do. Tonight, we have thousands of people here and I know you are four ministers in four different cities. Our church wants to pray for you. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna bring you up to the altar on the steps and we're gonna surround you and we're gonna pray. And you get thousands of people who take 15 minutes in a worship service to lay your hands on you and pray. And a lot of times when they pray in Brooklyn Tabernacle, it's not one person on the mic and the other people who are listening and occasionally saying amen. It's, uh, I don't know if you've, I've been in a few spaces before that they call them Jericho prayers. And Jericho prayers is when everybody verbally is offering up their petition to God on behalf of something where you have thousands of people who are offering up their petitions to God, praying for these four ministers with me being one of them, praying for our churches, praying for our cities. This is great. But back in that office with Pastor Simbolo, there were two things. And the one thing I wanted to thank him for was the book he wrote, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, which, which was a book I read my freshman year of college with a group of friends which opened up some of us to the Holy Spirit in ways we had never experienced the Holy Spirit. It, it grew our prayer lives. But then the second thing was this, is I wanted to know, Pastor Simbola, you preach in a church and founding pastor of the church for decades that has a high view of prayer. They ask God for big things. They celebrate testimonies when God responds. So they are bearing witness to different ways that God is acting and moving in the world. But my question to him in that room was, what is your theology of unanswered prayer? Like here at Brooklyn Tabernacle, y'all have a high view of what God can do. But what is the teaching when God says no, when prayers aren't answered? How do you give voice to it? Because I think in a church context, how do you give voice to unanswered prayer? Like this is so meaningful for people because this can ruin some people when it comes to faith. And his response to me was this, and I'm somewhat paraphrasing, but he said this, Josh, here in this church, what we do is we wanna focus on the promises of God. And we research them and we study them and we, we bank on them. And there's some promises God does not make. Now there's some promises God makes that are eternal, but he said there's some promises God doesn't make. God doesn't make promises 
That if you follow Jesus, you'll never experience pain or you'll never have cancer or you'll never have disease or you'll never experience rejection or you'll never socially be hurt in relationships. Like God never pr- makes those promises, but there are promises God makes. And on those promises, we claim them, we stand on them, and we pray for them. And it did something to me. It did something for me of how I want to bank on God to overclaim the promises of God, to never underclaim the promises of God. So one of my favorite ways to pray, and I pray this over you every week, week right now, right next to my, my, my desk, Allison, I see you, I see Beth, I see uh, Ashley Light. Like there are names that sit there. And as I pray, if you go to this next verse, Isaiah 55, this is a promise of God in my prayer life that I hold dear to me, that I often recite to God in prayer. Here's what God says, here's what the word says in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I was sent. There is a promise of God that when a word leaves the mouth of God, it will not return to God void. It will perform. And as I pray for people, I'm banking on a promise that when God speaks a word, it's going to do something. When God speaks a word, it's going to perform. It's not going to return to God void. Like there are some promises we stand on and we bank. And when it comes to the promises of God, overclaim them. Don't underclaim them. So back up real quick in 2 Corinthians, all right? So what's happening early on in 2 Corinthians is Paul told the churches in Corinth that he was coming back for a visit. And then there were a change of plans. Paul was delayed in his visit. So what you have are the churches who are now saying that, well, Paul said he was coming, but he didn't come. And then Paul said he was coming, but he wrote a letter instead. So Paul is going yes on one day and then no on the other day. So this is what they are claiming about him. So as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1, he doesn't write to defend his own personal reputation or his personal ministry. He is writing to defend the mission of God. Now, here's what I would have done if I were Paul. If people were questioning me because they're saying, well, you're delayed, which means you aren't staying true to the promises you made to the churches, I would have said, look, here's why I was delayed, and I'm going to call a few witnesses who will let you know why I was delayed. Casey, will you tell them why I was delayed? Kip, will you just let them know? Because you know what's been going on in my life and in my ministry. Will you let the churches know why I'm delayed in my coming? Here's what Paul does. Paul does call a witness, and the witness he calls is God. And this wasn't a Jesus juke. This wasn't like Paul, like, well, I'm just, God's my witness. Paul calls God as his witness, and the way he does it is, Paul doesn't call God as his witness to defend Paul. Paul calls God as a witness to defend God's character. All right, I hope you're with me because what Paul is trying to let the church know is if you are so easily questioning me, saying that one day I wake up saying yes and one day I wake up and say no and that I'm wavering on how I'm following God, you're probably thinking about God in the same way. And what I want you to know about God is God doesn't waver on his yes or no. For God, it is yes in and through Christ. God doesn't waver on his promises. And for Paul, if the church doesn't get that, then the mission of God in Corinth, it doesn't go, it doesn't move. 
So in verse 18, you get this right here, where Paul's, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. And here's verse 19, I want you to take notes. All right, from the left to the right, if you're online, as long as you're not driving, if you've got a pen, you've got something you can write on, a tablet in front of you, I want, to, I want you to take a few notes because I think just a couple of things I have to share in the next few minutes will be valuable to you in your own life, but also as, as you read and study 2 Corinthians for the rest of your life. And I want you to see in verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. And I highlight that it has always. And I don't know how exactly that comes across in your version, but this comes from the same word meaning remain or abide. So you see this in John 15 when Jesus talks about remain in me or abide in me. This is, but in him it has always been yes. There is this remaining of this promise, meaning that for God in your life, his yes through Christ isn't a Sunday through Friday and Saturday it may be a no in Christ. For 2,000 years ago, through the end of eternity, God's yes in Christ will always be a yes. You can bank on it. It remains. It's not going to change. And then verse 20 says this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So I want you just to look at that on the screen. Because from God, there is a yes. And it's not a yes to answer all your prayers. It's a yes that in Christ, his promises are true. God is going to stand by his promises in and through Christ. But then there's also an amen. And the amen is not spoken by God... The amen is spoken by us. So what Paul does is creates a dialogue in 2 Corinthians. So God's not the one speaking the the yes and the amen. It's not that all God's promises are yes and amen. It's that God's promises are yes. And our response is amen. And it's a yes for God. And it means something. It means something about your sin. It means something about your past. His yes means something for your future. And our amen needs to mean something too. Then when we speak amen, have you ever sat down to eat uh, and there's a beautiful, wonderful, warm meal in front of you and the person who prays decides to lay everything in their life before God in prayer and you're like, you're, you're smelling the food and you're watching the food, even though your eyes shouldn't be open, you're watching the food go cold right there in front of you. You know what I'm saying? And your amen at the end of that prayer is not an amen of agreement. It's a celebration of now we get to move on. Now we get to eat. Amen, let's go. You know? So maybe you get to the end of a church service and your amen isn't a, I love everything that's happened. Is now we get to go. We get to go nap. We get to eat, go eat lunch. The amen that is talked about here and throughout the Bible. This is an amen of alignment. This is an amen of agreement. This is an amen that whatever I'm responding to, which here is a yes in and through Christ, this is an amen that I want to align my life. We want to align this church with God's yes in and through Christ. God speaks to yes. We have the amen. And when it comes to the promises of God, I hope that we will always be a church that will be found guilty of overemphasizing the promises of God, never underemphasizing the promises of God. We want to research them, study them, claim them, 
pray them boldly, bank on them, never push them aside. We want to hold them up. We want to stand on the promises because God is standing by his promises. So we stand on them. There was one family I read about this past week. They literally did this. They were adding on a patio at their house and they went to Home Depot and they got white stone and they took white paint and there there were 10 promises in the Bible they wanted to declare for their family and for their kids. So they wrote it on stone. They put it on the patio and in the morning as the mom and dad, husband and wife, begin their day, they go and they take their Bible and they stand on the promises, which may sound hokey and cheesy, but they wanted to mean something for their kids. And we're not just gonna verbally talk about standing on the promises of God. We're gonna do this with our lives and with our feet every day of our lives. We're gonna stand on the promises because God, because God stands by his promises. Mark, um, Mark Batterson wrote a book called um, Draw the Circle. It's a book on prayer. He talks about, for, there was a period in his life where he felt like every prayer he ended with ASAP. Like, God, I'm offering up this prayer, and as soon as possible, I really need you to answer this. And he talked about in his life, things began to change when he stopped doing like the ASAP prayers. Even though there are prayers sometimes we're asking God to respond to immediately, but instead it shifted to God however long it takes for you to answer this prayer in a way that brings glory to Jesus. Will you do it? So instead of me praying in a way that is the path of least resistance, I want to pray in a way that leads to the greatest glory for Christ. So I want you to see this next slide real quick, 21 through 22. And here's what it says, and I want to highlight four words in these two verses. And I want to highlight them knowing that in this room, in this worship space, There are different versions of the Bible that are being used. We have NIV, NRSV, KJV, NLV, HEB, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of different versions we have. There are four words. And in your Bible, there's some kind of synonym or form of these words. And and one, I want you to notice the words that established, anointed, sealed, and uh, 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 given. Four words. And in all four of these words, in 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22, God is the one who acts. We don't establish ourselves, God is the one establishing. We don't anoint ourselves, God anoints. We don't seal ourselves, God is the one who seals. We don't go and grab or take or purchase the Holy Spirit, God gives the Holy Spirit. God is the one who acts. Now here's what I want you to notice about these these four words. Here's the other thing I want you to notice. The first one established, this is in the present tense. And it's an ongoing act. This is important. It's present tense. It's an ongoing act, meaning God establishes us with you in Christ. God is still, 2,000 years later, this is what God does. God is establishing us with you in Christ. The other three words, anointed, given, sealed, and given, it's a moment in time. It's in the form of, it's called the aorist tense. This is a moment in time that God did anoint, God sealed, God gave, God has given. Now, the Bible doesn't tell you this, but people for years have taught that they think in these two verses it's actually baptismal ritual, baptismal liturgy, that Paul is recalling for the church the way many of them, what they had experienced at their baptisms, that they were told and reminded at that moment, God is establishing us with you in Christ. And here's what God is doing in this moment. God has anointed you in this moment. God has sealed you in this moment. And God has given you the Holy Spirit. 
And now Paul is reminding them of this for the sake of their identity. And for you, church, in a moment of disappointment in your life, may God remind you God is establishing you with us, together with the saints in Christ. And in that moment, God wants to remind you how God has anointed you, sealed you, and has given you a spirit. In moments of addiction, that God is reminding you that he is establishing something in your life. And because of that, because of what God is still doing, God is reminding you that God has anointed you, God has sealed you, God has given you his spirit, that this may be a reminder for you the rest of your life of what God is still doing in your life. Let me end with this. If you throw up this last image, it's hard for you to see this, uh, partly because this picture was taken in the year 1869. And this is a picture of two trains that are face-to-face on the same track, which probably isn't a good thing, right? And it's hard for you to see, but at the bottom, you have people shaking hands. At the top, you have people who are exchanging a bottle, and it's a, it's a bottle of Dr. Pepper or Coca-Cola, most likely, all right? This was May 10th, 1869. Back in 1862, on July 1st, it was the year two of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln signed the Railroad Act of 1862. Now, what would end up happening is they're building a railroad across the entire United States, and, a, and we know that for them to do this, Buffalo were almost eradicated. Native Americans were destroyed. Like, I mean, there were Irish immigrants and Chinese laborers who were greatly oppressed. So the intention was, like their plan was, how can we unite and connect the United States? And whether they were using the language then or not, once this was completed, it connected the United States and then kind of launched the American Industrial Revolution. But in 1862, what happened is you had one company that was appointed in Omaha, Nebraska. A train had gone east all the way to Omaha. They needed to start building a train going west, a train track going west. And in Sacramento, California, there was a different company, and they were commissioned to start building a railroad track going east. And somewhere along the way, they were going to meet. And there were incentives based on how much they did, like there was payment coming to them and land that was coming to them. And, and it took about seven years. And in 1869, they were four miles apart, but they couldn't agree on a meeting spot. And President Ulysses S. Grant, who was president at the time, said he is withholding federal dollars until they find a meeting spot. And then they found a meeting spot. And the very last stake they put in the ground was a 17-carat gold stake. And then you get this image right here. An image that in some ways led to unity and connection. And I just want to leave you with a thought of God's yes colliding with our amen and the connection and unity it brings in your life, in the church, and in the world. When God's yes in Christ meets and collides with our amen to the glory of Christ, there is impact that is felt everywhere. And God's yes and your amen today, maybe it needs to meet in the waters of baptism. And God's yes and your amen, maybe it meets with a deeper commitment to prayer or to fellowship or community or a life group or just deeper ways of opening up your eyes to see what God is doing. May God open up your ears today to hear his yes. And may our response be an amen that is it's an amen of alignment. And God, we are with you and we are going deeper. 
this morning. I believe Suzanne Marrero and Casey, uh, Casey Ross will be here to receive you for prayer. If there's any way we can pray over you or bless you as you listen for God's yes in your life or try to live out an amen. Terry Miller, one of our shepherds, is going to be up here to my right. I forget who the shepherd is in the back today. We will have a shepherd in the back. I'll be over here to my left. If this is your first Sunday here, we're about to move to communion as we pray and as we do this together as a church. And you're welcome to go to one of these tables. And as you take the bread and you take the cup, you can take it right there at the table or take it back to your, to your pew where you're sitting now. And as you do, what's going to be up on the screen for a few minutes is this right here. It's a reflection on 2 Corinthians 1, 20 through 21, where God established all this for us through the sacrifice of Christ. And then one question for reflection on what the yes of God and our yes and what the amen means for us in our lives. So may God bless you as you take this meal and as you reflect on the goodness of God. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And God, today we give you thanks for all you have done in and through Jesus. For what you are doing right now in this moment all over the world to establish people with you. We thank you, God, for what you have done to anoint us, to seal us, and to give us the Holy Spirit. Thank you. In and through the cross of Jesus that bought our sins and have redeemed us forever. We thank you in the name of Jesus, we pray. And the whole church said, say amen.